Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecaptionlife.com. Welcome back to The Caption Life. This is a comics review episode where we take a comic book issue, run, story arc, whatever, and a guest and I will do an analysis and review of it. Today we're going to review DC Comics' latest arc of The Human Target that started last year and just wrapped up earlier this week. It is written by Tom King and artwork is by Greg Smallwood. This series review was suggested by our guest today, so please welcome Anthony Bergamini. Anthony is a writer for Comic Watch. He has a BA in film from SFSU, and he is a fan of all things comics, movies, and TV. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram under the username at Antman0052. Anthony, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. So reading your bio here real quick, I wanted to ask you... Um, SFSU. What is that? <laughs> I forgot uh, to San ask Francisco, about that. Yeah, San Francisco State University. I uh, uh, went to school there. I lived there for five years. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the first really big move away from home, although it was only really two hours away from where I grew up. But uh, yeah, it really uh, got me into different cultures and different areas of expertise in terms of things I wanted to study. And it also diversified my experiences a lot. I mean, if you've ever been to San Francisco, if you know anything about it, it's really a hodgepodge of a lot of cultures. And mm-hmm. where I grew up, it was just a lot of white people. So I really <laughs> right. got to uh, familiarize myself with people of all different walks of life. And it was really great experience. And going to school there, getting my film degree, uh, just studying film and the things I'm passionate about, it all really just came out really great. And I couldn't ask for anything more from it. I love that. That's awesome. So do you mind me asking, where were you before you went to SFSU? I grew up in uh, Sacramento, uh, just the Sacramento area. And yeah, it's just uh, a lot of white people. (laughs) There's not a lot of, not a lot of culture. (laughs) Not a lot of diversity. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So do you, do you live in in Sacramento now or do you live somewhere else? Now I live in San Diego. Uh, so I've just kind of been moving up and down and around of California. Uh, (laughs) haven't quite left here yet, but, uh, yeah, it's it's been great. San Diego is another area where there's just a lot of mixes of cultures. And uh, it's it, it, it reminds me a lot of where I grew up. But at the same time, it reminds me a lot of San Francisco. So it's a good blend of the two. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So so let me ask you this. Um, so you are one of our reviewers at Comic Watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we review comics, but we also review TV shows, film, anime, things like that. With your background in film and having a degree in that, what made you decide that you wanted to review comics instead of TV and film for Comic Watch? I Well, I've tried reviewing TV and film for Comic Watch and certain things. Um, I put my name out there to review Ant-Man when it came out. That was kind of the first big uh, Marvel movie, big comic book movie that came out uh, since I started working at Comic Watch. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. someone had already claimed it, so I couldn't take over that one. But gotcha. um, I also just have a huge love of comics. Um, I grew up reading comics throughout college. I really got into comics. It was just kind of my pastime for a lot of things, but it also was something I spent a lot of time doing as a hobby. I love going to the comic book stores in San Francisco and going around. And it kind of blended the two together because comics really are just like movies, but not 
animated. <laughs> it's right. Just, so it, uh, it, it's kind of the same mediums put together. And uh, I just, so I, I jumped on the comic watch when I, when I saw that there was writers wanted, I wanted to join and just do whatever I could. So eventually I think I will uh, talk about films and TV shows, but for now I've just been writing comic reviews. Awesome. No, that's great. And, and honestly, I think it's that's the great thing about Comic Watch is that even though a lot of us write, you know, uh, specifically for a particular um, medium, it, it's not really limited to that. Because when I first joined mm-hmm. Comic Watch, I was actually a reviewer for TV and films. And then mm-hmm. I decided that I want to switch over and do more uh, comics related um, reviews because I really wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that, you know, um, I've always been offered to say you know, if I, there was a film or TV show that I wanted to review that I'm more happy to do that. Um, so that's the nice thing is like, even though we have those particular mediums, we're not ever limited to that by any means whatsoever. So if anybody's exactly. listening to this episode and you think that you would like to be a reviewer for comic watch, definitely apply. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in that, I will um, make sure to have a link in that. Um, and we're looking for reviewers all the time, comics, TV, film, uh, anime, uh, we also have, you know, like I think news and previews and stuff like that. So if you're interested and, and just want to, you know, talk to us about it or just want to go ahead and apply, I'll make sure to put a link in that. So, um, one thing before we get into reviewing the human target, I did want to share that today I went to geek meet Indy, uh, which is a local, uh, convention. That's a one day, um, around the area that I live. And what's really cool is that since I started this uh, podcast with uh, two buddies of mine, um, you know, it's really great to kind of see this grill. And I had somebody, his name is Roland came up to me, said that he picked up a card, uh, about the show a couple of years ago. I have these business cards I give out the local comic shops he picked up a couple years ago and he came up to me and to tell me that he has been watching or he's been listening to the show ever since and he really enjoys it and it's really cool to see a fan that you didn't know you had come up and tell you that so i just want to say roland if you're listening to this episode thank you very much it really made my day that was really cool so i appreciate that um so let's get into the review for dc comics the human target um but before we get to that Anthony, like I ask every guest on the show, I have to ask you, what is your comic book origin story? What got you into reading comics in the first place? So I I grew up with a twin brother. So my mom always had to think of different ways to dress us that were different. And, you know, just kind of all, all this different stuff to make us different. We're fraternal, so we don't look exactly alike. But at the same time, when we're little babies, we're going to look very similar. Right. But she, uh, the way, I mean, the main way she did it was I was always Batman and he was always Superman. And so <laughs> she would, uh, she would either buy us a Batman or Superman shirt, or I significantly remember wearing some like gray sweatpants and we would put just red or uh, black underwear on the outside just to just kind of get the superhero in this out. And so ever since I was just very, very young, I've been into superheroes, grew up watching superhero shows. Uh, Batman Beyond was one of my favorite. Oh, it's such I, a great show. Yeah, it's so great. Um, <laughs> I significantly remember when I was younger reading a comic book panel. And for the longest time, I had no idea which comic it came from. And now <laughs> that I know it's really obvious, but in the comic, and you're probably going to immediately know what I'm talking about. Um, Spider-Man uh, first gets his black suit, 
Mm, and yep. he realizes that he can like put things inside of his stomach and like the suit would absorb them and like hold them for him, like his mm. keys or his wallet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that in a comic book panel going, what in the world is, is going on? Like, how does, like, how does that even work? What's happening with this? And it almost freaked me out. I was scared. I like went to sleep that night being like, Oh, is something going to absorb me into the wall or whatever? And I, I grew up, I mean, I, I started enjoying comics and reading things just based on being uh, part of that world and enjoying that world. And I went back and said, how did I read that comic? I was <laughs> not even born when that comic came out. It was actually the first appearance of the black suit mm-hmm. and, uh, or the first uh, use of the black suit, in the Spider-Man comic like, after secret wars. Gotcha. Um, okay. But uh, I, I tried to figure it out. And eventually I went on eBay and I figured out it was from a toy. So I, I actually have it here. I oh, bought this on that. eBay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the old uh, Toy Biz Marvel collection where you have Black Suit Spider-Man and it came with a comic. Uh-huh. And when I was really young, I don't remember reading a lot of comics. My mom didn't buy us comics and we didn't go out and look for them until I was a little bit older. So I knew there was no way I could have read that without having <laughs> absorbed it in some other way. And it only dawned on me, well, I had a ton of toys. It must have come from that. And then I saw it on eBay. It was really cheap. And I said, you know what? I need to buy this just to stack on my collection back here and, and, and display. And I've had it ever since. And I just, yeah, that's that's really how I got into comics. I love that. That's really cool. And it's it's fascinating to hear the different ways that people get into comics. It's usually somebody introduces it to them or they just happen mm-hmm. to see it. Um, I've had somebody tell me that they saw it at a grocery store and that's what got them hooked. Uh, other yeah. people, it's like, X-Men animated series. I feel like that's been half of the reason or half the people I've had on the show have said that's uh, one of the reasons that got them into comics. And so it's really fascinating just to hear everybody's story on that. So thank you for sharing that. I love hearing that and how it's related to, you know, not just, you know, the comics and and reading, but you got that, you know, toy that um, inspired you to get it from the first comic book that you really got into. So I really love hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we're here to talk about The Human Target, written by Tom King, and the artwork is done by Greg Smallwood. Before we start getting into that, let me read the official synopsis from uh, DC Comics of what The Human Target is about. And it reads, Christopher Chance, who's the main character, has 12 days to solve his own murder. Superstar writer Tom King and acclaimed artist Greg Smallwood teams up for a new noir examination of a classic DC character. Christopher Chance has made a living out of being a human target, a man hired to disguise himself and his client to invite would-be assassins to attempt his murder. He's had a remarkable career until his latest case protecting Lex Luthor when things go sideways. An assassination attempt Chance didn't see coming leaves him vulnerable and left trying to solve his own murder, and he has 12 days to discover who in the DC universe hated Luthor enough to want him dead by slow-acting poison. And the prime suspects have them to be the Justice League International. Human Target is a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of the classic detective noirs told by best-selling and critically acclaimed creators Tom King and Greg Smallwood. So, if you haven't heard about what Human Target is, this is what it's about. I'll be honest to say that I have never heard of the Human Target. I know (laughs) um, when the first issue came out, a lot of people talked about it. 
it didn't really interest me at all. And so, Anthony, when I asked you to come on the show to do a comics review and you suggested The Human Target, I remember thinking, okay, let's go ahead and try this out. I always like to enjoy, you know, new properties that I haven't really been into. I never heard of this Christopher Chance character or know anything about that. So the fact that you're suggesting it was telling me, you know, let's try that out. Maybe there's something to it. And I got to say, I'm really glad you did because this has been a fantastic series and a fantastic run. It's just, it's it's very different than what you see in a lot of other DC comics. It's not, it's superhero related because Justice League International is in it, but the main character that's in it is not a superhero at all. Um, it reminds me very much of like a 60 spy type of character, which is what they're leaning into with this. Um, but what I love about this is just, uh, and I don't want to get too much into it, but I just love the the writing with this and that it really seems to center on the characters a lot and it just it was just really well written and I think the artwork is fantastic and everything like that but I just want to say thank you for suggesting this because this is now easily my favorite series of 2023 and we're only in the third month of the year but I yeah. I think it's going to be hard to beat this because I this is one of the few comics where when I read the first issue, I was like, I got to read the next one and the next one and the next one. So if you have that feeling, that tells you that's a good story because you can't put it down. Right. So I absolutely love it. Um, overall thoughts on your end in terms of what you thought about the human target and, and things like that. And then we'll start getting to more of the specifics about the writing, the artwork, the characters and stuff like that. But your initial overall thoughts about the series. Yeah, I got really into writer Tom King last year. Uh, and also just kind of coming out of the pandemic, there was a lot of books that he had specifically made during the pandemic. So it was kind of just a good way to jump into all of his works that were just kind of made there. And mm-hmm. one of them that was coming out at the time and just finished a couple weeks ago was The Human Target. And I really admired the series at first because of the noir aesthetic. And I took this noir class in college and Everything about it was just so amazing. I loved watching all the movies from like the 50s about just these hard-boiled detectives. And this book Mm. captured all of that. But as the series kept going, just all the nuance and all of just the love aspects, the conversation about death, everything just captured so perfectly by the writer and artist. And I just fell in love with it. And I have to say, I know it's your favorite comic of 2023 so far, but this is actually... Now that it's done, I can say it's my favorite comic book of all time. I, oh my gosh! It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it jumped up the list, and I and it's hard to get to that list, but it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Well, and 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 I gotta say that um, it doesn't surprise me either because this is. A property that lives in DC Comics, so you're expecting, you know, a lot of the superheroes and kind of the DC universe. But I feel like it's such a well-written, hidden pocket in the DC universe that it didn't even have to be related to it. I think the it, it gives it a little bit of an edge and benefit and excitement because it is in that world. And you have some of the characters that are from the DC universe that's involved with it. But just the main characters that's involved with this alone could have been its own thing. I think it would have been fantastic. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, we are going to get into the writing aspects first, but before we do that, I do want to read some of our listeners' thoughts about the series as well. So uh, let me go ahead and share what uh, Ken from ODPH Podcast said. He said, The Human Target by King and Smallwood showcases an underrated member of the DC Universe in a story that fits the mystery clouds surrounding Christopher Chance daily. It captures elements of the classic Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comics while balancing the mental breakdown of events 
Times, which has become a trademark for King's writing. Besides, you can never go wrong with a book that punks Al Guy Gardner multiple times, which... I absolutely agree. Like Guy Gardner in this comic, uh, who's a, a Green Lantern, if you don't know who that is, um, he's very central to the story, and it is absolutely hilarious. And we'll get to that um, a little bit later. But I, I like Ken's uh, synopsis on that as well. Um, and then Joe Loves Comics said, The human target was a compelling mystery with lots of usual twists and turns you might expect, but filtered through the superhero lens using some great characters to make something intriguing and thrilling and all so gorgeously drawn by Greg Smallwood. I've yet to to read the final issue but i'm very excited to and then last but not least bumpkins tv said i think it's a book i haven't read but i'm very much looking forward to checking it out <laughs> i gotta say if you have not read it yet uh first of all if you don't want it to be spoiled you know stop listening now because we are going to be talking about what happens in the story and, and doing the analysis and review of that but if there's any series that you want to check out that's not superhero focused but has some of those elements and you really enjoy noir spy thrillers mystery things like that um romance this is definitely a comic i would i would absolutely 100 percent recommend that you get um and it's it is i think it's rated um mature if i remember correctly i think dc is like 17 plus because it is Mm -hmm. um it is definitely more on the mature side of things but it is is a fantastic series and i hopefully you know from our conversation from this and from uh some of the listeners uh recommendations on that hopefully you can go check it out whether it's um going to get the hard covers or trying to get the single issues or just waiting until it comes out in dc universe Definitely check it out. I think it'll be worth your time. I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's go ahead and jump into the writing here. So Tom King's the writer for uh, um, The Human Target. And I got to share my own personal experience with Tom King. And I don't think my experience is unique because I've heard a lot of people say the same thing, which I find it really interesting. Um, Tom King is a hit or miss for me. He's written some really fantastic stories I absolutely love. Um, and then there are some stories I've read. I'm just like, I did not like that at all. And mm-hmm. and um, and it's just interesting because I feel like there's not a lot of writers that I could say that about. Um, but I'm really glad that he wrote this one because I think this is probably one of the best works of his I've read. Um, that's just really fantastic. So um, so personally, when you suggested the human target, I was going to give it a shot. When I read Tom King, I was like, I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it. But not only do I love it, it's just it's probably my favorite of his and like I said, favorite of the year as well, too. Um, but I want to ask you, what do you thought about the writing and what are some of the elements of his writing in this story that you really enjoy? So a lot of the writing here, uh, especially if uh, you've read a lot of works of Tom King, it's very familiar. A lot of the themes he touches on, um, the empowerment of certain characters, and even a lot of the way he changes characters from the way you probably knew them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look back at his uh, Strange Adventures uh, maxi series that he released, he had a large focus on Alana uh, Strange who is just normally the casual wife of Adam Strange in the comics. And he does the same thing with Ice here, where Ice never really got the spotlight in any JLI iteration. And uh, now she's front and center. And uh, by the end of the series, she's a character with a ton of agency. And she's very strong, putting Martian Manhunter in his place, which is something you probably <laughs> think only Superman can do. Right. Um, but uh, he he definitely has a lot of those tropes that are on full display here. But I think they're done perfectly in this series. Um, I wrote down a couple of quotes here that I really loved. That uh, it's just the way he writes is just so amazing sometimes. And uh, one of them was falling for a disguise isn't about seeing the mask it's about not seeing the face behind the mask and i think 
that encapsulates the entire series altogether. Obviously, mm-hmm. he is someone who puts himself in harm's way uh, to stop someone uh, who is attempting to be killed so he can get paid for that. That's his whole job. That's the job of the human target. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of describes his job. But it also is a huge foreshadowing for the reveal um, at the end uh, about who his killer is. Right. Um, about uh, how that person has uh, been putting on this disguise without actually... Uh, wearing a disguise because it's just all in uh, the way they present themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing he, he writes and I, some of these are from early on. Some of these are from later in the series. I don't remember the exact issues, but um, that's fine. He, yeah, he says wanting something is admitting you don't have it. And uh, he directly references that uh, with Christopher chance talking about a mentor he had where the mentor was saying that if you really want life, that means that you're dying. So mm-hmm. you, 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 if you admit that you don't have it, that means, or if you admit you don't want it, you don't have it. So I mean, right. it, it was, uh, it was something that really made me sit there and ponder it. You know, never really thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, and this is the one, uh, that, uh, I don't know if you saw, but, uh, in our little comic watch chat we have amongst writers, I said that, uh, the human target was the first book that made me cry in 2023. Um, oh, he, no, uh, I, th- I think I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, it, it's, it's in the second to last issue. So the 11th issue, um, uh, Christopher chance and ice are laying on their like ice slab in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And he looks at her and goes, I got lucky, you know, I won't miss you. I'll just be gone. Right. And it's, it, it, that just hit me. Like I, I have chills right now that I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a gut punch of, and, and again, that realization that I had to sit there and ponder it and go, he's right. I mean, she's going to have to miss him. They fell in love in this 12 day span Yeah, and he's going to be dead. So he's not going to be able to miss her. He's just going to be gone. He's going to dread death and he's going to really look for that. But once he's gone, he's gone. And mm-hmm. that just, again, it just tore me apart inside. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that just, oh, and the writing was so good. He, Tom King does a great job with dialogue. And there, there, you, you were right that he is a hit or miss writer for a lot of people. Um, I did not enjoy his Batman one bit. But <laughs> the Maxi series, he does uh, Vision. Uh, if you've read Vision by Tom King, he does a lot of this where he'll have just this great prose that accompanies uh, the artists and just talent behind these books that really just captures everything in such an elegant way. And right. I, I it, it's one of these books like this where I just can look for quotes and I just want them written all over the walls of my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. But yes, this book is so well-written. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the way it's written is, he sprinkles some of the inner dialogue that he that Christopher Chance has that kind of sets up the reader of of what's going on. And what I really like is that at the beginning of every issue, he kind of recaps what's been happening in just mm-hmm. a single page, basically. You know, and so it's always a reminder that there's going to be 12 days left. He's on day so and so, whatever. Um, he does a great job of using that inner dialogue to kind of fill in the details without it being distracting. And yeah, and, and yeah. this kind of and this kind of goes with the um, with the artwork of um, Smallwood as well too. Is that it really works well with um, the panel or the page that's on as well too? Because then you can kind of focus on that dialogue, but the images are kind of there to support it. Um, I especially love in this uh, run 
what's really cool about this is again this is a very spy noir kind of feel to it It definitely has that 70s feel to as well with the artwork that's in there and and it was just fantastic but um in every issue i feel like what happens is you're reading the story you are seeing one side of things and and going back to what you were saying about the quote of you know it's not falling for the disguise but not seeing the face underneath it Mm -hmm. The writing is very much like that as well, too, because as you're reading it, you're kind of getting that one side of the story. And then when you get to the end of the issue, you find out that it's not really some of the things are not just happening organically. But Christopher Chance is, again, even though he's a a body double, he's he's also a detective in a sense. That's not Mm -hmm. his main job by any means, but um but he's definitely is hired for not only take the hit, but also to help figure out like what's going on and who's doing it. And he's very smart. You find out by the end of that issue, he's actually the one pulling the strings because as a body double, he's learned how to manipulate his look. So he looks like somebody, but also his voice. He has all these talents and all this knowledge on how to do this stuff. And I absolutely love when you got to the end of that issue, you find out that he's pulling these strings and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like that's so amazing. And it kind of puts you in a little bit more perspective. Like it almost makes you want to reread that issue because you're just like you know do you see that like he actually knows what's going on and and i absolutely love that because i think that just kind of puts you it makes you kind of look at the issue again to see it's almost like the sixth sense effect right like you go back and see Mm -hmm. you know is it really that he's been surprised or you know is he expecting these things and this is all happening so i absolutely love the writing for that um i will say one of the critiques I have about the arc is issue number five. I was not a fan of because I was really confused when I read it. This is the one where with um, Martian Manhunter. Yes. And, yeah. and I got really confused really fast because of a couple of reasons. One is I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I think part of that is just I didn't know Martian Manhunter that much. And so I didn't realize that there was some like mind controlling or telepathy going on, not mind control, but telepathy going on that um, the mentor that Christopher Chance had was teaching him kind of how to block that. But I just didn't I didn't understand like why that was happening or what was going mm-hmm. on. Um, the other thing that they did, which I, I think, again, this is might be a hit or miss kind of opportunity, is that. When you're reading the issue, they had these juxtaposition parallels between um, Christopher Chance and Ice in bed together and Fire and Martian Manhunter in bed together because there are some panels that they look very similar in terms of the layout and everything. But then the colors are a little bit different. And so when I Mm -hmm. first read it, I was like, wait, why is Chris all of a sudden Martian Manhunter? Like, is this like all facade or something like that? Or has it been, is man, is this how you find out that Martian Manhunter is actually Christopher Chance this whole time? So by the time I got to the end of the issue, I'm like, okay, I think I kind of get it, but it just, the whole thing, I was just like, I I was lost the whole time. And so that's probably the weakest issue. But besides that, all of them had just been fantastic for me. I think the writing is, like I said, is, is really well done here. So. I would challenge you. Uh, I, I read last night, I reread the whole series in preparation for this discussion. <laughs> and right. um, I had the same impression. I read issue five and I said, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> yeah. well, they keep talking about moving salt. Like what, what are they talking yes. about? <laughs> and when I reread it last night, it was actually my favorite issue because oh, no again, when you, when you know what's going on and you know the full story, it touches back and forth on the affair with uh, Fire and Martian Manhunter, but also the backstory of Christopher Chance. When right. you know what's going on, 
it just, it changes it completely. And I almost feel like that issue at the end, Tom King should have put a tagline that said, now go ahead and reread this issue. Because <laughs> when you reread it, you go, whoa, it's, it's told in such an odd order that the first time you read it, you're probably going to have no idea what's going on. But right. the second time I, I, I suggest you go back and check it out. It's, it reads so much better when you can figure out what's going on. And I think that's how it should have been. Right. right. Is read this and then go ahead and reread it. You'll, love it all over it. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I, I think if I uh, reread the issue, I probably would enjoy as much as the other issue. I just remember, you know, first time reading, I was just like, okay, I don't know what's yeah, going no, on I had, here. I had but, the same experience. I was yeah. like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. So, well, and, and again, I think part of it is the artwork. They were trying to show that um, telepathic connection that was happening, mm-hmm. um, but also the events that were happening. Because you find out later that, you know, it made it more clear that, Christopher Chance also read his mind, right? And so that's what was kind of going on. Um, But just reading it and looking at it, I was so confused because of how they're trying to juxtapose both of those situations. I thought it was it was the same scene because it was the same layout, just different colors. Mm -hmm. And and fire and ice in the artwork look very similar. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, you know, they're fire and ice and, and I don't think they're related by any means whatsoever. And, and I don't know. I, I got the sense that they may have been lovers on some sort, like I don't, or if they aren't, they're just really close friends. But it's like really, really close. Like it, you kind of, you know, wondered if they were lovers before, but they were look very similar in a lot of different ways as well, too. So I think that's what really got me confused on that. So um, mm-hmm. but speaking of which, let's talk about the artwork by Greg Smallwood. Um my personal experience with Greg Smallwood is the only one that I recall reading that's of his artwork is the Moon Knight series that he worked on with Jeff Lemire, um, because I read that before the Moon Knight series came out. And I absolutely love that. I thought his artwork was really well done. Um, but in the human target, I think this is probably his best work for a lot of different reasons. And I'll share that my favorite thing that he did was he was he was really creative in the use of titles and credits in the issue. So. I think in the first issue, if I recall correctly, it ends with, um, you know, seeing these like close up images of um, items in his uh, apartment or hotel room that he was staying in. And so the first panel was uh, a close up on a telephone and this telephone had like the keypad, basically. So it's still the push buttons. It's not a cell phone or anything like that, but it had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then it had zero um, the star and then, you know, pound. But, you know, hashtag is what people <laughs> will recognize it now. But so the the numbers, it said, you know, D.C. for the one and two, then three was blank. And then the second, uh, the next two rows says comics. And then I think it said presents, which is on the little like tag they have at the bottom that people used to write in the phone number. So they know what number they're calling from. Um, and he just made it as part of a natural environment in each of those panels. And so there was another one where he wrote the human target on a, a Chinese takeout box. Um, he wrote in like the credits for the writers and the artists and, and all that. And the uh, receipt. And I'm assuming this might be him. If, if he didn't write those in there, my guess is he was involved with it. That very much could have been the letterers that did that because they usually, anytime that the letter's involved, it's the letterer um, who's doing that. But um, I can only imagine that the artwork or the idea probably came from him as the artist. And I just absolutely love that. I thought that was a really cool touch. Um, his coloring, or not his coloring, but his artwork um, really laid into some really cool ways of um, laying out the panels and um, really hone in on that 60 70 spy look 
I thought worked very well in this series. So I absolutely love this. I think this is the best artwork um, of his I've read, even though I haven't read a whole lot of his or seen a lot of his, but um, this was just fantastic. I couldn't get over the art, you know, at all because it was just wonderful to read through this and look through this and, and see what he come up with. And I feel like every issue had a very unique artwork that he did that you haven't seen in some of the other issues as well too so so i that's what i enjoyed about the artwork from smallwood uh what about you anthony what was your some of your favorite things about the artwork yeah i also had not known really anything from smallwood outside of the moon knight series which was fantastic and Mm -hmm. the art in that series is very different from what we have here as well it's uh, very much more escapism and you're dealing with someone with a fractured mind. And here there's a lot of realism outside of right. the superhero fanatic stuff. It's a lot of realism. It's about a guy dying. Mm-hmm. And one thing in particular that I really enjoyed about his artwork was actually his coloring. Cause he did all the inking, penciling and coloring for this. Oh, did he? Okay. And, I, I yeah. couldn't remember if he did or not. So yeah. So yeah, yeah the colors are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the coloring is very thematic and yes. um, the, uh, for example, in the, in the issue about Batman where they are uh, traveling through the desert and Chance is really paranoid that Batman is going to come find them or <laughs> that he's already there watching them, that issue is in a desert and there's a lot of brown around them. And brown symbolizes stability. It symbolizes things being as they seem. So we know that Batman's not there. He's not going to show up. (laughs) And that's very much thematically within the book. The other thing that uh, he does perfectly with the art is he still captures that noir aesthetic, the heavy shadows. And instead of having it just be black and white, it's filled with color. I was thinking about how this book could be adapted to the big screen. I've seen some people say that this would be a great HBO Max series. And I almost want to say don't do it because of the art unless you make it really really themed with those colors because the art and the colors really were just popping throughout the entire book it very much felt like a comic book by the end of right. it because yeah. of how vibrant the colors were and how meaningful they were thematically mm-hmm. um, i also uh, i went on to greg smallwood's twitter page because i wanted to see if he had talked about it, he does actually talk quite a bit about his process drawing this book. And it's really funny because he and Tom King have actually both said that the other person came up with these ideas. Like there was a quote from (laughs) Greg Smallwood. I think it was almost, it might've been last week he wrote it, but he said that Tom King wrote these really great scripts and, he really assisted in the way that Greg was able to make these visceral images come true. Mm. And uh, Tom King in other interviews has said, Oh, well, Greg Smallwood, he, he took this by storm. I write very little in my scripts. So I, <laughs> at this point, I don't know who is, who's doing what, right. um, but it's in uh, both of them are very humble about it, but it's this great collaboration because whatever happened, whoever came up with what ideas, it came out perfectly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the other thing that Greg Smallwood talks about is that a lot of the body movements, uh, he actually referenced photos and did some tracing to make sure these, these body movements look realistic. And mm-hmm. this book does look in some ways photorealistic. Yes. Not quite like Alec Ross, Alex Ross, but, um, it's, uh, the characters feel like people you could meet. The way they're drawn, mm-hmm. 
Um, Ice particularly looks like Ana de Armas. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Oh, it kind of does. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was intentional. Um, I haven't seen any evidence to show that that was intentional, but, mm-hmm. uh, you, the way her hair is cut and, uh, is similar to the way it appears in a lot of movies for her, but even the face, but a lot of this really comes off as just being authentic. And I think that really right. sells the book in such a nice way of the authenticity of what we're seeing. And it really helps bring us in emotionally for everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, so you said a couple things I want to go back to is, mm-hmm. um, how Greg and Tom kind of credit the other person for a lot of those ideas. Um, mm-hmm. I know for a fact, at least Tom King said this in, in a tweet because I tweeted this out and said how much I love the tiling part and the artwork. And Tom, uh, retweeted that and said that it was all Greg's idea. So mm-hmm. if, if that is the case, then Greg definitely came up with, with all those ideas of doing those things. And, and yeah. again, genius. I absolutely love that. There's a lot of things about the artwork that I absolutely love, but that one, I just remember looking through this and I was just like, this is just fantastic. I absolutely love that touch on it. Um, not to get too far off on the issue, but when you were talking about Christopher Chance and Batman and that whole thing. Um, so for those who are listening, uh, we'll, we'll get you caught up to speed because we know that, you know, we haven't really gotten into a lot of like we're not doing an issue by issue. We're just kind of talking about more generally. But the idea is that Christopher Chance got poisoned, right? Because he um, the he was uh, standing in for Lex Luthor to get assassinated because Lex know that somebody was going to try to kill him. So what happened was he, you know, had a ball cap. He looks just like Lex Luthor. He sounded like Lex Luthor. He went to Lex's office that day, um, had a drink. And then he went to some sort of almost like a, you know, like an Apple presentation where they do like, you know, the new products and stuff like that. He's given the speech and then he gets shot at. Um, and he's obviously was wearing like bulletproof vest or something like that. I can't remember exactly what happened, um, but he gets shot. And then uh, the guy who shot him thought that he killed him. It was making this huge speech. And then, you know. Christopher Chance as Lex Luthor walks up and, and wakes up and like knocks him out. But then he keeps getting this cough and he realizes because he talks to Dr. Midnight, um, which I can't remember why he did that, but he talks to Dr. Midnight and he found out that someone actually poisoned the drink that he gave him. And it wasn't, you know, the same group of people that shot him because what happened was because he got shot, the poison kind of got delayed instead of killing him instantly. So if the assassin, shot him they would have known that the uh the poison that they gave them would have you know taken like slower to do that and all that so they ruled that out um but you know a long conversation with all this is that christopher chance figured out that whoever tried to kill lex luther by poisoning him was probably somebody from the justice league international now through like the first six or seven issues, Christopher Chance is trying to figure out who it is by talking to each one of the members in each issue. And um, we'll have kind of like a one-on-one with, with ice and, and that person from the justice league international. He's always calm. He always seems like he's in control of the whole situation. He seems like he's a step ahead with everybody. Right. And so he's very smart, very, like I said, detective work type of stuff going on. And is always about one or two steps ahead of the curve. Then you get to the issue where the entire issue, he is paranoid about Batman showing up, right? He's he's driving ice out in the desert to try to get away from him. He's like looking back and thinks that, you know, if Batman is following him, that he would be able to see him. He's like, well, since I can't see him, he might be in the bat plane above him. But he's like, I don't hear anything. So obviously he's not there. And it was funny is he even says that the first rule of making sure that you don't let the person know you're getting tracked is to not look back. 
but he's so paranoid that he does that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so it's just funny because that whole issue is just paranoid that Batman's showing up sometime, but we never see this in any other issue with any other characters. It's only Batman. And I thought that was really fantastic because it, it tells me that Christopher chance is on the same level as Batman, basically, right? Because he never, with all the other superheroes from the Justice League International, he never loses cool. He never gets intimidated by them. But Batman is kind of like his equivalent to him. I don't know if Bruce Wayne's going to think the same thing about him, but Christopher Chance definitely does because he's the only person that's got under Chance's skin and got him paranoid about the whole thing because he's never been mm-hmm. paranoid for the rest of the series. Um, so yeah, so anyways, I know we went to tangent on that, but I absolutely, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that was really insightful to think about that issue because it's definitely different from all the other issues in terms of the person of Christopher Chance. All of a sudden, be, you know, he was this cool, suave, like almost like James Bond kind of character. And then all of a sudden he's doing all the things that he knows he shouldn't do because he's just paranoid that the Batman's going to show up at some point. <laughs> and that's the best part of the issue too, is Batman. The only appearance of Batman other than in the uh, first issue where you see the image of the JLI and he's in the picture of just the team is right. the cover of that issue. You, Batman yes. never shows up at all in, in the entire issue. That's and right. a lot yeah. of this is, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's following the, uh, the big heel turn that happens halfway through the series, which is Guy Gardner getting killed. Right. And, um, the, the funny thing about that, and I know you read this more recently and kind of read it more so in one go, but there was actually a significant uh, hiatus between the sixth and seventh issue. Oh, really? And, and so Guy Gardner dies. You know that uh, Fire is going to show up and talk to Christopher Chance and kind of give her opinion on everything. Mm-hmm. And then you don't hear from the book for, I think it was almost a year. Oh, wow. It was it was very much like, what is going to happen? The last time we saw this guy, he just murdered a Green Lantern. Right. And uh, so you come back and you see a few issues uh, where they discuss it. But then you get to that Batman issue and you're almost as afraid as Christopher chances of Batman showing up because you're like, well, there's so much time has passed now. I mean, Batman's ought to catch up on what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So you're almost thinking, oh, Batman's going to show up and do this guy in. And he never does. Right. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and so what's interesting about this is I never – this is my first introduction to the Justice League International. So when they said mm-hmm. that, you know, the Justice League International, one of these people are going to be um, the murderers or the attempted murderers, right, at that point um, – I, I don't know anything about these characters other than Batman, you know, I mean, Batman's universally known and all that, but um, it was just fascinating to be able to see that they picked a group like this. And then in each issue, it focuses on a single character because what Christopher chance is doing is as he's trying to figure out who murdered, uh, who tried to murder or who's going to murder him, basically who poisoned him before he dies on the 12th day. So that way he can, he hasn't quite figured out what he's going to do. He doesn't know if he's going to like get revenge or kill them off or what he's going to do, but he's investigating, figure out who's doing it. So every issue he's kind of like doing a hidden investigation on the back end. Right. So the, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's the first issue or second issue, but second issue, it might be the end of the first issue. We get introduced to ice um, and ice comes on. Like, here's the thing is it's 17 plus, right? 
ice comes on very hard on Christopher Chance. Like she is flirting and making very suggestive remarks from the mm-hmm. get go. You know, I remember thinking like, man, this, this woman is bold because he would say things. Um, he would say something like, you know, they were in the ocean and they were swimming and, and she was like, do you need a break? Cause they were like swimming for like four hours. He's like, no, he's like, I, I could do this all night. She's like, I bet you could, you know, like very, yeah. <laughs> very suggestive. And, and when he drops her off the house, you know, he said something about, um, you know, you, you met all my ex- expectations with all the opportunities you've had and everything like that. So, you know, you don't surprise me because you went above and beyond and all that. And then as she's going in the house, she's like, you know, if you came inside, I bet you there's some more opportunities I can meet or more expectations I can meet. And I'm just like, damn, she's not like holding anything back, you know? Oh, yeah, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just like I was just like, wow, this is cool. And But again, you know, as we talked about by the end of the series, they are completely in love. It's, it's a really great love story. I absolutely love it. It's, it's really fascinating because they go through a lot of the milestones of a romantic relationship in 12 days, right? Like the, the honeymoon phase and then the, you know, real honest conversations that they had, the things like, you know, they're kind of in a, a fork in the road and they have to make a decision if they're going to be together or not and all that. So I really love the relationship. But, um, but we find out that Christopher Chance is the one that I'm sorry. The whole reason why ice came to visit him was because he said that Dr. Midnight had called her saying that, you know, there's a poison and this is a substance I was using it. And I'm afraid that Christopher Chance is going to, you know, start investigating justice league international. So she decides to show up to kind of talk to him and say that, you know, I'll help you find out who it is. But you find out by the end of the first or second issue that it was actually Christopher Chance using his voice skills as Dr. Midnight calling her to tell her that to kind of get the ball rolling. So like every issue is like that where he is. It seems like it's something that happened naturally, but really he did something on the back end to get a member of the Justice League to talk to him about um, about the whole situation, basically. Right. And so I love that every issue focuses on a particular, um, character because then we get to know them as a character, not so much a, as a superhero is trying to fight injustice or anything like that. So we have Booster Gold, who I've only heard about before, but, um, but he's hilarious in this issue. Blue Beetle, I absolutely love. Um, and we'll talk about him um, a little bit later, but there's Dr. Midnight who kind of, he's not a suspect, but he's kind of in and out a few issues. Fire, um, Guy Gardner that we talked about is the jealous ex-boyfriend of Ice. And so it's really funny because he really does all the jealous ex-boyfriend type of things and, and doesn't get the clue that they're over. You know, he always thinks that they're still together, but really they've been over for a long time. Uh, Nort's in there. Martian Manhunter we talked about. Rocket Red. Lex Luthor, Batman. Um, so he investigates a lot of the Justice League International members in every issue. And I know, Anthony, I, I've been talking for a while, and I apologize, but I know you talked about how you really like the fact that they... Sp- uh, that the every issue they focus on one single character. Um, and I want to mm-hmm. get your thoughts about like why you like that. What, what did you think was really beneficial on that? It was a good exploration of the JLI, especially uh, like you said, you, you have really did not know a lot about the JLI. Right. And you only really knew the character of Batman. So for you, it was probably a great way to introduce you to a lot of these characters. Right. Um, like I, I, for one, I never heard of a rocket red before this series. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> when that issue came along, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And I had known about characters like fire and ice, but never in as in depth as we've seen here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that uh, Tom King sometimes is criticized for is he sometimes will write characters out of character in these uh, DC black label series. Right. Um, maybe making them his own in a lot of ways. 
But that really works well in this series because each issue he can identify things about these characters that may have just been one note characters we didn't know before. Mm-hmm. I, I Fire and Ice really didn't have a lot of agency before. They were just the two attractive women who were on the JLI and that's all they were really used for. Right. And here they're very powerful characters, especially Ice since she's the second protagonist in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, these characters just get so much agency and because of that, they can be explored in great ways. Uh, the issue with Blue Beetle um, that you were talking yes. about is very interesting in particular because he's annoying. He's so <laughs> annoying. He, he spends, I mean, there, there's uh, two pages, uh, one after the other, where most of the panels are filled with just speech balloons of him talking about whatever. And I can't even remember a single thing he talked about, but he just goes on and on and on. And that was something that as a reader of uh, JLI or of any of these other series, you may just see him as buddy, buddy with booster gold, but you never see him just kind of from this aspect. So you get to know these characters in these deep personal ways. And it was so Mm -hmm. great that he explored them issue by issue to really be able to uh, give these characters their own voice make them known with the exception really of Martian Manhunter, because while he was explored in a lot of ways, he kind of was just told about. And I think that's because a lot more people know about Martian Manhunter from like the justice league cartoon and stuff. But uh, these other characters that are just minorly known, you get these really great individual voices from. So each single issue gets to single them out, make sure they're important characters that you can learn about. And it honestly made me want to go back and read a lot of the uh, JLI books just so I can, now that I know maybe some about these characters, even though this is kind of an Elseworlds kind of story, mm-hmm. um, maybe I can use that to contextualize some of the stories that have happened in the past. Um, so yeah, it was great that he explored these characters individually, just so we could get their individual voices told and know that Blue Beetle is the most annoying guy on the planet, <laughs> or that Booster Gold really is just that much of an idiot. Right. Um, and, and so it, it just... it. Uh, it, it was fantastic seeing it portrayed like that. Even the Batman issue where he doesn't appear, you learn as much about Batman as you need to know that he is oh, yeah. that terrifying <laughs> to people. And that's just, that's, that's Batman. And so, and yeah, he's the was, one person was, in the group that doesn't have any like superpowers. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. If, uh, and in one of the most popular, even if you haven't read JLI, I'm sure you've seen the panel where Batman punches Guy Gardner square in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, it's, it's the most famous panel from JLI. And it was just that uh, this whole book felt like that, where it was just moments that we were just waiting to see from some of these characters um, that uh, really got to shine in here that were like, oh, finally, we get to see this character do this. So this character has a voice here. I, before this, would never really care about a character like Ice. But after this, I'm like, I hope that Tom King can maybe bring Ice back in some other sequel book he writes or whatever he chooses to do, uh, just because these characters now are just so unique and well-written at the yeah. end of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, I, I know we're not going to touch in on all the characters and, and everything that's been focused on, but going back to blue beetle, that was definitely one of my favorite character examinations that they did in the series. Um, you said he was annoying. Um, I thought he was funny in the sense that he reminds me a lot like Brett Farr, because what happens <laughs> was and, and that whole issue, basically, um, Christopher Chance and Ice goes to meet Blue Beetle to, you know, Christopher is, is 
is still investigating, but he's not letting him know that. Right. But I think Christopher only asked him one question. I think the question is, you know, who do you think might have tried to poison Lex Luthor? And that's the only question. Then they spend the whole day going to all these different places across the country in the world where there's these, uh, you know, crimes being committed that Blue Beetle and Ice are, you know, trying to stop these crimes from happening. And they're, you know, they felt really good about working together again and teaming up and stuff like that. But throughout the whole day, they're in the ship going back and forth through these places. And while that's happening, Blue Beetles pretty much have a conversation with himself about who he think might have tried to kill them. So he'll be like, well, I think it might have been this person, but, you know, they would have been they wouldn't have done that because they couldn't be smart enough to be able to do that. And then he's like, but you probably already figured that out. So you probably already know. And so pretty much they don't have a dialogue with him. It's Blue Beetle just having a conversation with himself trying to figure out the whole time. And just like you said, there's just a lot of dialogue boxes because all he's doing is talking this through out loud without anybody, you know, suggesting anything. And I just thought it was hilarious just because it's, it's just like, you know, he's going back. He's like, oh, maybe it's this person. But now I think about it, probably not. So maybe it's this person, but probably not. And just kept going back and forth. Um, and I just I thought it was just hilarious how they do that. And, and every character had that weird quirk with that. Right. Like we talked about Guy Gardner is the jealous ex-boyfriend that doesn't get that him and Ice are over, even though she pretty much told him flat out that they're not getting back together. Um, Red Rocket is the muscle where he doesn't really um, ask questions. He's the, you know, take action now, ask questions later. And then by the end of the day, he's like, oh, yeah, you probably didn't kill Guy, even though, you know, he did because they covered it up. Right. Um, he's like, because we just got a message from him. So he's like, sorry about that. <laughs> and and so it's just it's it's a lot. It's just it's really fun to see them really lean into those quirks like that. Um, so. Now that we talked about the characters, let's kind of lean over into the different themes a little bit in this uh, series. And I think that the prevalent theme that you and I had talked about that's really in this is how Tom King uses Christopher Chance to um, address the issues of death and what that means um, in this regard. Right. And so I, I want to ask you, like, what did you think about that death and how or how that theme of death and how they handle um, that whole idea and that theme in the story? Yeah, I uh, I wanted to talk about the theme of death, especially in relation to this comic source material, which I'm not sure if you've ever seen the uh, noir film uh, DOA, Dead on Arrival, which this comic is based off of. The, the, the premise of the film is that a character is poisoned and he has two days to solve his own murder, and by the end <laughs> of it he solves his murder and dies. So it very much follows this, but the difference here is that this movie also is a heavily involved love story. There's a lot of nuance with things and the film is very bare bones. I mean, everything I told you about what happens is basically the plot. Of the movie. <laughs> um, so if you, if you go back, if you're into fifties noir movies and want to go check that out, then I, I highly suggest you do. But yeah. um, the, the theme of death is very prevalent um, and it builds off of that and really grows from that core concept of that movie where we get to see a character who is, he's portrayed as a macho man. He's portrayed as this mm. guy who's, he's, he's big on his britches. He, he doesn't get scared easily. Um, he talks about his past, about how he was named the human target because he would volunteer to be the person who gets tested all these crazy things on while he was training. If they were testing a new stun weapon or something, he'd say, Oh, right. I'll go. And they said, Oh, <laughs> the human target, he's going. Yeah. Um, so by the end of this, you, you figure out that he is really trying not to be his father, who, uh, mm -hmm. again, you learn about in these flashbacks that his father was someone who had stolen some money from some bad people. He got caught. 
And uh, Christopher Chance's last memory of him was watching him die uh, because they caught him and killed him for it. Right. And he told himself, I'm not going to be the guy who sits there and begs. Uh, I'm not going to form attachments in my life. I'm just going to be this really hard boiled guy and uh, die on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And then he meets ice Mm -hmm. and they fall in love. And by the end of it, he he changes his tune. It, it, he he. What you mentioned earlier, he goes through uh, a lot of these relationship steps in like eleven days, right. and because of that experience, he is now looking at death from a different way. And it ties mm-hmm. back to that quote I mentioned earlier about how he's not going to have to miss her when he's gone, but she's going to have to miss him, which is almost the ultimate punishment for Ice. But it really shows that chance has changed his tune on death. It's changed his tune on it's just the end of it. I wanted to solve my murder and it's over. Well, he solves the murder and is like, well, I kind of want to live now Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have the chance to anymore. So it's that fantastic exploration of, I mean, really just living life while you can, Mm -hmm. uh, living life to its fullest. And in his case, he didn't really experience that until the last week and a half of his life. But right. it showed that when, once he died, he at least had lived enough that he died on his terms and it really changed his perspective. So mm-hmm. I, I think if you come out of this book looking at any theme, it's to live life every day the way you want to live it or the way you should don't, change your tune because of this experience you had that you don't want to end up like this guy or like that guy. I mean, at the end he was happy because of what he experienced in 11 days and he could have had that longer, but because of his, uh, just his nature, he, he didn't do that for most of his life. Right. Yeah. And, and what I really liked about what happened in that transformation is that for the longest time he thought he, he didn't have a very high, opinion of his father because of the way that he begged for his life at the end. Um, but then, you know, by the second to last issue or towards the end of the run, he understands that he wasn't really asking, you know, mercy for his life for himself, but he just wanted to spend one more day with him, like with Christopher, you know, and, and because that's the person he loves the most, he didn't want to leave him and leave him alone. And so, his relationship with ice kind of helped him realize that because as he's thinking through these things, he didn't want the feeling of that. He was abandoning her, you know, by letting himself die and everything. Um, and so it made him realize that that's probably what his father was actually doing. Wasn't really asking for himself, but he was asking more for his son. And so I, I think that was like a really cool way of him, um, kind of gaining that relationship back with his father, uh, postmortem, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I think it was a really cool way to be able to do that self-inflection of, you know, what does death mean and what happens after death and, but also what happens to the people that you leave behind as well too, because the whole issue kind of starts with Dr. Midnight saying, you know, do you have people that, and your family that you need to notify? And, and he's like, no, not at all. Um, mm-hmm. but by the end of it, it's like, you know, ice is his family and he realizes that he really should have done more to spend more with family and all that. And so um, it was a really cool reflection of how your mindset kind of changed or your viewpoint changed of not just, you know, what you've done with your life, but this other people in your life as well too, especially his relationship with his father. So um, yeah. And after the end of that issue with rocket red, uh, where essentially the whole issue is rocket red 
kidnaps Chance and is interrogating him, and he repeatedly knocks him unconscious, and then he wakes up and keeps interrogating him. Yes. And by the end, <laughs> and if, if you reread this, it's it's actually fantastic with that theme of death and how he realizes he didn't have too much time left with Ice, this woman he just fell in love with. Right. He he keeps asking Red, what time is it? And he won't tell him. Yes. And then he finally gets back to his <laughs> hotel room, and he goes, oh, it's like 11 p.m. or something. Yeah. And he stands up and just beats the crap out of him. Yeah. And he's like, you wasted an entire day for me. And again, this was the guy before who was like, well, I'm just going to solve my murder and peacefully die. Well, now he has something to live for. He wants mm-hmm. to live for these last 12 days. And one of them just got taken away from him because Rocket right. punches first and asks questions later. Yes. Yeah. So it's really cool to kind of see that development and that change over time and how he first, you know, reacts to him dying and how he's still cool. And then every issue, something is happening that's kind of changing his perspective, right? And we talked about his paranoia with Batman and and uh, with Red Rocket, how he's, uh, you know, upset that he lost a day and, and just all these things are just now he's kind of losing his cool because he's realizing all these things, you know? So, um, and then I, I have to say, so again, spoilers. So if you don't want this to be spoiled, you know, turn this off now and wait till read it and then come back. But um, at the end of the series, he does die. It seems pretty final. And I first of all, I love how uh, Christopher asked Ice. He said, because the way it works is that you find out Ice is the one that poisoned him because the whole story backstory is that um, she was killed by I forget the name of the um, the, the the overmaster overmaster. Yes. And the overmaster was in cahoots with Lex Luthor and overmaster was trying to take over the world. Um, overmaster actually controlled ice and then she was able to break away from his uh, from his mind control. But then he kills her. And then I don't know how they brought her back to life, but they did. And so she and fire were really upset by that, that they wanted to kill Lex Luthor. And so by doing that, what they did was they poisoned uh, Christopher Chan by accident and that's the whole reason why she kind of got involved in the first place is that she wanted to make sure that he doesn't solve it and like turns her in or anything like that um, but she felt so guilty by the second to last issue or the, by the last issue because she falls in love with him and realizes that you know everyone thinks that she's a nice and good person but what she did was not nice and good and so she's begging him to just you know put her out of her misery and to kill her off because that's what he deserves but he's like not at all he, you know because he loves her and, and forgives her and all that but he said I don't want you to go yet because I want you to do one last favor. And basically what happens is at the end of the issue, um, this wasn't a favor, but I like this part is that she has the ashes of Christopher chance guy Gardner shows up. He's trying to win her back. And then she's like, you know, saying, yeah, I think we should get back together. He's like, Oh really? Like, he's really excited. He's like, finally, yes, we're going to get back together. She takes the, the urn of Christopher ashes and smashes it over his head. as like this poetic justice <laughs> and knocks him out. And she's like, yes. Um, but then at the end of the series, she meets up with Lex and, you know, she tells him that she's looking into who killed Christopher chance, blah, blah, blah and you know they're having this whole conversation you find out that he's about to get ready to he's he's drinking like a whiskey or something like that but she would put in the poison in his drink so the last pi- uh, last panel is ice looking like at the camera with like a smirk saying like you know I'm, he's gonna die now you know so it's kind of like this whole poetic justice type of thing but um i will say that one of the things i'm really sad about is that it seems like he's not coming back so i'm wondering is this the end of the human target christopher chance or is 
he's going to come back somehow or are they just going to kind of, you know, uh, reboot the whole series somehow and say like, you know, he, yeah, he died, but this is like a different universe or whatever. But like, I really want Christopher Chance to come back into the DC universe. And this series seems like he's not, at least there's no plans for it. So I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with that character. I don't know if you had any thoughts about yeah. that. <laughs> well, it's, it's a DC black label book. So a lot of it is out of continuity and it probably isn't part of continuity anyways. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I, the what, one interview I, I was listening to from Tom King is he, he makes this joke about how the human target actually has had two TV series. One of them was in, I think 2005 and one was uh, quite a bit earlier, oh, okay. um, but he's had like, one more TV series than Aquaman. And he's had the same amount of TV series as the flash, but nobody knows who he is. Right. And, uh, this book, uh, has been like Eisner nominated. And now that it's over, I'm sure it's going to win, uh, plenty of more, uh, awards and different capacities. Right. But I think that you're exactly right. There's a lot of people are going to know who Christopher chance is and they're going to want him to come back. And, mm-hmm. uh, so they can explore this. And uh, there was a great Vertigo run uh, by Peter Milligan um, about uh, Christopher Chance, the human target, where a lot of these uh, different themes or different ways you can talk about this character are explored. So he's definitely a very useful character. And I think that it's really great. And I think Tom King just really wanted to kill him off because uh, I, I think the realism aspect of it at least are, is that you can't just say, oh, well, all this happened and now he's going to live happily ever after. Right. You know? I mean, it's it's a book about death and he's going to die. Right. He does. And it's it's weird because that last issue, I wasn't expecting this, but the last issue, he's dead the entire time. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, the, the issue starts with him laying down and uh, going to sleep and he's he's dead. Yes. Um, yep. And the entire last issue, he's he's not really a part of. He's mentioned, but it's you you kind of get flashbacks. But mm-hmm. it, uh, it it really solidified at that point that he's not gonna just walk away from this. He is the human target. He's known for that. He's known for the mask comes off and he walks away at the end. <laughs> and you can probably make an argument for his uh, his companion uh, Luigi, the uh, the guy who owns the yes. store that he lives above. Oh, right. maybe he's going to take off a mask and be Christopher Chance the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I think that it would really cheapen it if he didn't die just because the story is ultimately about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like he went through this transformation because that's what happened. So it's if he hadn't died or if he figured out a way to get out of that, it kind of unravels all the processes and things like that. And and I know you can say that we you know he's still a changed person, you know, like, look, it's, it's what I call the, the Scrooge effect, right? Is, you know, he, he went through this whole examination and now he's changed and everything. But, um, but I, I, even though I wanted Christopher chance to come back, I did like how they ended all that because it still goes along the lines of how Christopher is thinking like two or three steps ahead. He still has an effect on people's lives well after he's gone. Um, and I just, I absolutely love just how they wrap that up because I think it kind of gives that somber, um, uh, experience for the reader, but also it wraps things up nicely in terms of what started this whole thing. And that's, you know, ice being killed by, um, overmaster that was brought in by Lex Luthor. And so it's like, it started with the assassination attempt of Lex Luthor and it ends with the actual assassination of Lex Luthor, even though we don't see it on, on page, it's definitely heavily implied and he, he's definitely going to die. <laughs> so yeah, and it's, it, yeah. it's, it's that it's as much about his death as it is about giving ice that agency. That yes. She had so much wanted because the, the, the thing that happened right before she was killed by the overmaster, uh, she says that for the first time in her life, she 
was out of someone's control mm-hmm. and she was going to stand up and use her full abilities. And as soon as she came to that revelation, Overmaster killed her. Right. And she, that, that was why she was so mad at Lex Luthor because it was finally that turning point in her life. Mm-hmm. And when she came back, she just kind of went back into her routine and it was just that person again, who looks like the goody two shoes and is going to be the cute, just innocent girl part of the uh, JLI. And it, chance mentions multiple times throughout the series that she's always holding back with her powers. She's immensely powerful, but she acts like she isn't because she wants to put on that persona. But by the end, she's such a powerful character that she's like, I'm going to blackmail Martian Manhunter. He's going to say that he's going to investigate and figure out what's going on with Christopher Chance's death. But no, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him I know about his affair with fire and I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make sure he knows that uh, I'm in charge and I'm powerful and then goes right up and poisons Lex Luthor and says, you know, I can, I can do what I am. I'm taking my business into my own hands. And right. she's really just that powerful character. And I mentioned it before, but he does, uh, Tom King does the same thing with Alana Strange in uh, Strange Adventures where mm-hmm. he takes this character that was in the background for so long and really gives her agency. And by the end of that book as well, you realize, oh, this book has almost been about her the entire time. Right. And that's, yeah, that's exactly right. With the same thing with Ice, even though she's not the main protagonist, she, it, it, the, the story is definitely about her as much as it is about Christopher. And that's what I really mm-hmm. liked about that is that even though it's through the uh, viewpoint of Christopher, you really see Ice in the story as much in, in the backstory and in her life as much as well, too. So, yeah. So that is um, the human target from DC Comics. Um, and we touched base on a lot of different things. And I really appreciate you coming in to talk about this. Uh, we end every episode to talk about the comics that we're reading. Um, so what I want to do is I want to ask you what comics you're currently reading. I'll share what I'm reading. And then I'm going to also share uh, what some of our listeners are reading as well, too. So, um, Anthony, what? comics are you currently reading that you want to share with us i uh reread public domain uh the chips and rc yeah. uh, Substack book yeah that book is just so great <laughs> I, I read it for the first time on an airplane mm-hmm. and that was another book that i read and i was like why am i so emotional about these things it's just <laughs> it's so great so i i reread that recently that's one of those books that i know i'm gonna have to reread every every couple of years just to just remind myself why comics are so great right. um i also uh I, I recently wrote an article on uh action comics 775 uh what's so funny about truth justice in the american way yes and uh i really loved uh how the article turned out and joe kelly the author actually responded to the article and was like, Oh yeah. I'm glad that people are looking at this. And I was, I was so happy about that. So I really wanted to read more Joe Kelly, Superman because of that. And Mm -hmm. I read Superman ending battles, which Mm. uh, kind of is a pseudo sequel to that uh, action comics, 77 five issue. It's in some ways it is. uh, But ultimately I, after reading it, I was like, Oh, you know, it's not, it's, it's 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 not quite as great as this, but the issues written by Joe Kelly are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then also, uh, I, I've been reading the uh, the current Superman series that just started. That's been really great. I love that Joshua Williamson is on Superman. Yeah, uh, and it's it's kind of the first time in a while that DC Comics is firing on all cylinders with Batman and Superman, which is it, it usually one's really good, one's not so good. But right now, I mean. Joshua Williamson, Chip Zdarsky, I mean, on these two like flagship titles with Batman and Superman, it's like, wow. So, <laughs> um, uh, I, 
I go through phases of comics and right now I'm really into DC. There's not a ton of Marvel I'm reading right now, but I, if you ask me in six months, I'd be reading just all Marvel books. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and, and what's really cool about writing reviews for comic watch is that we do get creators who will respond and, and, um, and talk about the reviews that we do. And so it's, I remember you sharing that. I thought that was really cool getting that shout out from, especially, um, uh, creators from one of the you know big two, the DC Comics and, and Marvel, because um, not that they don't usually, but um, from time to time, it, it's it's more common to get it from Dark Horse or Image than it is from the creators who are doing those bigger titles, be- just because they're doing um, they they have a lot of uh, traction followers that they get a lot of you know tags and stuff like that. So it's really cool to be able to see that something you wrote got the attention of the creator of that comic as well too. So yes. I, I, yeah, I remember seeing that. I love that. Um, two books that I'm currently reading. One I'm getting ready to read, so I'm not reading it yet, but it's on my next to do list. Is uh, Batman One Bad Day Clayface, which um, all the One Bad Day Batman comic series have been fantastic. I absolutely love. It. I know some people say like there's some so better good. than others, yeah, but I, every one of them I've read, I thought they were really well done. I I especially love. I think my favorite one right now is the penguin one, because I think that one kind of gives you a little bit more insight on how penguin is critical with Gotham city. Um, and just, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to like go down that rabbit hole, but that's definitely been my favorite one so far, but um, I've heard really good things about the Clayface one. So I'm getting looking, I'm looking forward to doing that one and reading that one. Um, the other one that I'm currently reading is the old man Logan comic series. I, I first read the original five or six that came out, I think in the early two thousands or maybe a little bit before then that was part of like the Wolverine series. So it wasn't called old man Logan's actually under the Wolverine name, but it was like a subtitle. Um, and I really enjoyed that except for the last issue. I thought the last issue like kind of hit a little weird, but that's because that's how they ended it. And then the current old, no, not current, but the one I'm currently reading old man Logan series that's written by Jeff Lee Meyer. And I forget who does the art for that one. They continue that story basically. And I absolutely been enjoying it right now. I'm in the, the last Ronin part two of the story. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun because it's, Logan, it's Wolverine kind of in that world of what happened in that dystopian future, but he actually travels back in time again. Like, I don't know how many times he travels back in time, but that's what's happening here so far. And I still haven't found out, you know, why or who sent him back or anything like that. Um, but it's just really interesting. I really enjoyed the story so far of how they're showing him going back to try to stop a future from happening, but he's realizing that the past he went back to probably isn't his past. So he's still trying to figure out like what he needs to do here. So, um, I've heard a lot of great things about old man logan i've just been reading that and i've been hooked on it i think it's been a really good story so far so um so let's go ahead and share what some of our uh, readers and some of our staff from comic watch are reading uh b rats from comic watch said i'm reading the new 52's earth 2 saga stuff starting with the batman superman arc from greg pack and jay lee after hickman's finished with the ultimate u revamp dc should snag him and some other talented writers revamp the earth 2 dcu so much potential they just need the right talent to mine to, to mine it to its fullest um I've read the only new 52 stuff I've read has been um, the Batman from Scott Snyder, and Greg Capullo. Have you read any of this stuff, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I've, I've read the earth too. I've actually more than I'd like to admit, I'd read a lot of the new 52 stuff. I only say that cause I didn't like a lot of it, but, oh, gotcha. okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've actually read a ton of new 52. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. The only one I've read was, um, at least to my knowledge, is the Batman one. And then I've read Flashpoint, which I think was supposed to be where the reboot was at as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not read any of the Earth 2 stuff. I, I know Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman has like the Earth 1 series that was out. And I can't remember if that's part of New 52 or is that something different? Um, the Earth 2 books follow... Uh, I think they start with the traditional versions you uh, understand, and then it transitions with uh, Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and kind of uh, different okay. versions of uh, the characters. It's it's actually really interesting because it ties in with a lot of the bigger universe stuff they were doing with New 52. Mm-hmm. It's one of the series I actually really enjoyed from New 52. So. Gotcha. Okay. And then Tyler Davis from Comic Watch said, I'm getting started on Tinian's Batman, Jeremy Adams' Flash, and reading Akira. I've never seen the movie, so it's completely blind read for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't think I've ever read those either, but I'd be interested to see what Tyler says about that. Um, mm-hmm. Have you read those? Uh, well, I've seen Akira. Okay. Uh, I've never, I've heard that the, uh, the manga is actually not vastly different, but it really goes into depth with a lot of the stuff that the film doesn't cover. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that's really interesting. I skipped over, uh, Tinian's Batman, but I'm not sure if he's referring to the Batman run or the detective comics run. Gotcha. Uh, uh, Tinian's detective comics is great. I actually met, uh, James Tinian when he was writing detective comics and, he he loved writing that book so much that was like his child and just uh, that, that that's a great one so I, I hope he's referring to that yeah yeah oh that's cool yeah I, I I've read some of James Tinian's stuff as well too I think the he wrote the uh, Batman Ninja Turtles crossover I think if I remember correctly. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I absolutely love that. So, uh, and I know, I know I'm really bad at remembering the writers and the comics I wrote and all that. So I know I've read some of his other stuff. I just can't remember right now. So, (laughs) um, in our, uh, discord, which again, if you're interested in joining the discord, I'll put the link in the notes as well too. But, um, in our discord, Wally said over my dead body by Sweeney boo to get ready for her run on Holy Quinn and flashpoint, which I just started, which I, I love Sweeney boo. She's actually been on the show to talk about, um, eat and love yourself which was a book she came out with, I think, three or four years ago. Um, and I have seen her talk about Over My Dead Body, but I have not read that yet. I, are you familiar with Over My Dead Body or any of her work with Harley no, Quinn? No, no, not, not particularly. Gotcha. Yeah, her art is fantastic. I absolutely love her art. Um, she did a lot of the Captain Marvel. Um, it was like the kids comic. I think it's just like action comics is what it's called. Um, mm-hmm. But her art is fantastic. And I've heard nothing but great things about Over My Dead Body. So I definitely want to read it at some point. And I know she's working on Harley Quinn. And so I'm probably going to end up pulling that because I, again, I absolutely love her work. Um, Jill loves comics said the visible kingdom from dark horse slash Berger books by G Willow Wilson, who G Willow Wilson is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, Chris Ward also reading on a sunbeam from Avery Hill publishing by Tilly Walden and catching up on various polls. Um, and then ODPH podcast said they're currently reading Rogan Gambit number one, which he says, excellent story focusing on one of the X-Men's most famous couples. I, I got to put that on my poll list. I have not read that. I've not read any Rogue or Gambit uh, series, but. Oh, yeah. You're, you're going to want to go back and catch up on some stuff for that one. I know. There's what Mr. Mr. and Mrs. X. And there, there's a lot of stuff with Rogue and Gambit that's happened. But yeah, you know, it's yeah, no, it's it's good. I, yeah. I really enjoy that as well. Well, and, and I love I'll say this. This is what kind of sold it on me. And, and I can't believe I didn't put it on my poll list. But I saw a 
panel or a, a preview of showing how um, Destiny, who is a mutant from the, um, you know, uh, House of X powers to 10 crack storyline. And she's technically Gambit's mother in law because she is married to Mystique, who is um, Rogue's mother, um, mm-hmm. mother, adopted mother. I can't remember what the relationship is, but but they're in laws, basically. Right. And it, they have all this banter back and forth. And I absolutely love the bantering. And so that's what made me really want to get into that. Um, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Great intro story. I am not a Ghost Rider fan. I just never got interested in, in Ghost Rider. How do you feel about Ghost, Ghost Rider? is interesting. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, are, are you a Donny Cates guy at all? Uh, I, like, like I said, Ghost Rider, just like Doctor Strange for me, I, I yeah. don't care for them. <laughs> so Cosmic, never... Cosmic Ghost Rider is like, he's, it, it's actually Frank Castle in the future where he's That's gone crazy heard. and has become Ghost Rider. Yeah. So it's not quite the same as like Danny Catcher, Johnny Blaze, but right. it's, it's, really interesting i read the uh the first issue as well of the uh new cosmic ghost rider uh-huh. and it's not quite the same as uh when uh donny cates introduced the character a few right. years ago but it's definitely interesting I, I i suggest checking it out if, if you don't really know a lot about the character it may update you on some things maybe yeah we'll we'll see <laughs> and then uh ken also said rogue son from the massive verse latest issue drops uh actually this week on march 8th um JT Beyond the Fandom said Spider-Man number six into the Spider-Verse has been a fun, exciting adventure with a ton of Spider-Man characters that are hilarious to see. But the story is great. I got to say, I never pulled or read Spider-Man issues. I've always been kind of a casual fan of Spider-Man, but I had to review Spider-Man issue number one for Comic Watch. And I was absolutely hooked from that first issue. I ended up pulling this, this series. Have you been reading the series at all? I am a huge fan of Mark Bagley on Spider-Man. So yeah. art-wise, I am completely sold. Yeah. Dan Slott is a hit or miss for Spider-Man <laughs> for me. There's some really, really great stuff like big time. Uh-huh. And then there's some stuff where I'm like, I, I don't really care for it. And one of those things just happens to be Spider-Verse. Uh, I know that's like universally loved, but for me, I've kind of been on the outskirts of it. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think the current Spider-Man series actually is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, it's because it's, really just showcasing all these different versions of Spider-Man. Um, and it, it, I don't remember which issue it was, but they, uh, they talk about the, uh, the Spider-Man that was accidentally called the wrong name by Stan Lee and one of the, uh, Peter Palmer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it was a fun callback and, and Dan Slott is so well versed in his Marvel knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and it's, so if you're reading that book, you just, you, you have to be so invested. You have to know a lot about Marvel to get a lot of the inside jokes, but mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's really fun. Yeah. And not just that, but Spider-Man was one word and not hyphenated when Stan Lee yes. wrote it like yeah so it's, it's really it's really funny because when you look at that um, it was like two different from that first issue that they had Spider-Man it was like two different story writers writing it and, and you know Peter Parker and Spider-Man was half united in one of the stories and then when Stan Lee wrote it it's Spider-Man one word and Peter Palmer um, so what they did was they brought this person in as Earth 616 uh, Beta's Spider-Man basically and what's yeah. really fun is that the artwork that um, that you were talking about by Bagley he made it look like the original 60s um, 
uh, character that lives in the current day style. So like his style is definitely 60s reflective, but it's definitely out of place with everybody else. And so it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a it's lot of fun. Like the, <laughs> like the Spider-Verse movie where they uh, all the different versions of Spider-Man come together, but they're still in their own animation styles. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, it's really great how they do that. And I just I, I'll never get over Bagley on Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man is so fantastic. And just Bagley was meant for Spider-Man. I know. And, and not to get too far off, but there was an issue where they teased that Tom Holland Spider-Man was going to be part of this somehow. I saw that. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. And, and I haven't seen it show up yet. So I wonder if it's going to show up in the future, but it's like they teased Probably that. like the last issue. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So the fact that, that, you know, they mentioned it once and then they haven't brought it up again. Like, I don't know if it's just going to leave it like that. It's like kind of just a, Hey, we're going to, you know, include this because why not? Because it's the spider verse type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if they're going to show up like at the end or something like that. So, yeah. Um, and then on Twitter at Marty Stokes has been reading through Teen Titans Academy with uh, his daughter Flash uh, also reading Flash 2016 Josh Williams run and reading the King in Black full event with tie-ins which that is a commitment I haven't read that yet but I know that there's a lot in there um, oh, that's dense yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> I looked up a Marvel uh, Unlimited and I was just like there's a lot of tie-ins with this yeah so well and then the whole back you have to read the entire Venom run from Kate's and uh, Stegman just to <laughs> understand what's going on in it so yeah <laughs> that's a that's a that's a tall order I know yeah so yeah good luck with that <laughs> and then uh, at the year of the loser I'm sorry at year of the loser uh, which that's a great username by the way I'm currently reading Star Girl the Lost Children while it felt like Jeff Johns was really in previous work from the story from uh, Flashpoint. The artwork by Todd uh, Nuck and Matt Herms was amazing. Whatever they were paid, <laughs> double it. So that sounds that's a high praise if you're telling them, you know, get paid twice for for their artwork, you know, so great. Well, thank you, everybody, for sharing what you're currently reading. Um, Anthony, thank you very much for joining and talking about the human target. I had a blast. I'm glad you suggested this and I'm glad we got to talk about it. Before I let you go, where can everybody find you and your work online? Uh, at Antman0052 on most platforms. Um, I was really heavily making TikToks last year. This year, I've kind of just been making one or two on the weekends and mm-hmm. sometimes even more inconsistently. But I've also been making them for the uh, Comic Watch TikTok page. Yes. Um, and they're fantastic, so, uh, too. I really love your videos there. Yeah, I, I, I really want to talk more about comics and shy away from the movie discussion. So I'm trying to just hone in on exactly that specific thing. But mm-hmm. um, I don't have a huge online presence, but I am actively writing as many reviews as I can per week with Comic Watch. And I try to stay active on Twitter and talk to different creators and stuff. And uh, I'll be at San Diego Comic Con as well. So Awesome. Well, what I'll also do is I'll put a link to your work at Comic Watch. So that way, if people want to read your reviews for comics, they can uh, click on the link in the show notes Perfect. as well. So awesome. Well, thanks again, Anthony. I really appreciate you joining the show. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. I hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 